Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. In this episode, we will explore better ways to diagnose brain tumors, specifically with brain tumor segmentation, or BTS. We'll take a look at use cases and, of course, innovation enabled by the Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and today I am joined by Abhishek Kawala, who is the Principal Health AI Engineer for for Intel, and Severine Humbert, who is the AI Engineering Manager for Intel. Thank you both for joining me today. Hey, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me too. So before we start, I think it would be important for people to hear about your background, because before we jump into this conversation, you have such knowledge. So uh, Abhishek, can we start with you a little bit about your background? Yeah. Um, so uh, I've spent more than a couple of decades in health technology with various uh, different industry leaders, uh, spent time in electronic medical record with Epic Systems. And last seven years, uh, I'm working with Intel on health AI use cases. Perfect, and Severine? Yeah, so my background is that um, I actually did a, a master in biomedical engineering and a, a PhD in a medical, uh, a medical imaging in Technical University of Munich. Let's talk about a little bit of background on how brain tumors are diagnosed, what methods are currently used, and then what are some of the limitations that are often seen with using them? So a brain tumor is a particular uh, type of, of, of cancer. It's actually uh, not that deadly. So it's actually roughly 80% of them are actually uh, benign. But of course, when you are under 20%, it's very, uh, uh, it's, it's very bad for, for your health and you it might lead to to for depth. First, uh, assess make a diagnosis of uh, if the patient has uh, has uh, has a cancer, if it's benign or if it's uh, malignant. And for that, one of the ways actually to do um, an MRI, so um, magnetic resonance imaging, uh, which is a rather big device that you often find only in like a quite big hospital uh, where you uh, go through an MRI for maybe like several minutes. Um, we require actually the images of like the soft tissues, like for example, for the brain, and you will be able to see like a different structure. So for example, the, uh, the tumors within the brain. And, um, but just saying the, the tumor is actually not enough. Uh, you also need to basically, to be able to assess how we grow, you need, what is most commonly done, you need to get the delineation of the, the tumor to know how big it is. That can be useful for actually um, first making the diagnosis and also prepare like for treatment, a potential treatment. So that can be done for the surgery to know how you withdraw it, know where you have to go, and also to if you or if you have to do radiotherapy, so how you target with uh, actually uh, uh, with X-ray to actually burn the tumor. So it's actually very useful to know where it is, and for that you have to do segmentation. Yeah, and I would like to add uh, exactly to what um, what Severin mentioned. Um, uh, so, it's uh, medical imaging is an important um, uh, tool to to see the uh, uh, progression and hopefully deprogression of of this condition. And and for that, um, as Severin mentioned, uh, we need to segment out the tumor 
from rest of the tissues, uh, brain tissues that are around it. And that is, uh, and for that we have, there are um, uh, good um, uh, models like, like the unit uh, model that is used in the industry. And, and that architecture uh, is, um, uh, uh, is good at uh, like, uh, that, that architecture kind of works with uh, less amount of data and yet giving more clear segmentation result which is very, very important in this situation to be very um, accurate about the exact uh, location and the uh, magnitude of the, of, of the tumor. Um, from, from a medical imaging perspective, this can be taken to the next notch. There is like a two dimension, you can do it two dimensionally. You can even go and do it three dimensionally, which, which gives even a better um, idea of the tumor area and 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 as a, a patient is going through the treatment uh, this has to be it's not a one time process it has to be done again and again as i mentioned so that the d uh, progression of that condition can be evaluated yeah, and Abhishek, you brought up a key point with this conversation, accuracy. That is really the key word. So, you know, one could say that MRIs are really only as good as the technology used to decipher them. So how does Intel's brain tumor segmentation or BTS work with OpenVINO toolkit to better optimize MRI images when trying to detect those brain tumors? Yes. So, uh, so first of all, you know, I would say accuracy or sensitivity, uh, sensitivity to the to the whole uh, process of, uh, of 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 the of the prediction that is done with the model. Um, it, uh, it is like like a general case in the healthcare domain altogether, right? Most of the use cases will need to be accurate. need to be very sensitive uh, to the uh, to, to the to the data out there. And and in that case, uh, the brain tumor segmentation um, is is no, no different. However, uh, uh, the, uh, the it's important that that uh, since this is something that that has to be done worldwide, and um, and uh, pretty much wherever civilization is, you know, there are MRI images and this this kind of uh, you know use cases would be there. Um, we need to deploy it at scale, right? And 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 to deploy it at scale. There are certain challenges that that need to be overcome, right? First of all, uh, the challenges in AI is that people think that they have to always use GPUs, which is um, generally uh, high cost. Uh, they think that they are limited by the uh, the performance that the common framework like uh, brain tumor segment, uh, like like the uh, PyTorch or uh, or TensorFlow is giving them, and and that's where the OpenVINO is 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 a, is a great tool that. Uh, that we have. What OpenVINO does is take uh, like the unit architecture or, or, or the brain tumor segmentation model and actually um, provide a lot of compile time and runtime optimization to it uh, so, so that that whole architecture can run very well uh, on, on the common CPUs that are used in laptops and, and, and edge, edge servers. Uh, um, and that, that makes... Uh, makes it possible to deploy it at scale. Um, and at Intel, we have taken this uh, brain tumor segmentation as an example um, and provided like kind of base code um, so that uh, uh, the developers in the community can use that and can, um, can, uh, can get, uh, just make it faster for them to, to start, uh, start looking, uh, seeing it for themselves 
how this important brain medical imaging use cases can run on uh, on the com common uh, CPUs uh, that that they find um, you know across the world. Yeah. So as uh, Abhishek was uh, mentioning that uh, actually the UNIC architecture is the most common uh, model architecture in deep learning in medical imaging for segmentation. So it's used beyond just MRI, it's also used in CT and ultrasound, so it's used for 3D and 2D data, uh, for X-ray also. And that makes it really um, like the tumor segmentation example as a really perfect example of how do you apply the, the most common architecture and use it for um, with a panfino on really multiple devices, going from edge to um, high-end um, uh, devices, like for example, typically MRI will have Intelxion, um, uh, like rather high-end uh, CPU in it. And by uh, showcasing that, how to uh, do a relative segmentation on, for example, Xion, we show how to leverage uh, like existing um, uh, MRI devices with uh, already with CPU on it and how to do AI on it already. And if I can add one more thing, that uh, uh, this this whole UNET architecture started with uh, with medical imaging segmentation. Um, uh, the other Ronenberger's paper is now cited like more than forty thousand times, and it has become a cross industry. Um, uh, uh, not beyond medical imaging, it is used for segmentation. So, and and as one time, if we if we take care of this architecture for one use case, it kind of generalizes it for other use cases as well. So when it comes to medical imaging, of course, uh, cross-reference data is imperative with something like this. So let's talk a little bit about the role of Sorensen-Dice coefficient and how that plays a significant role with BTS in helping to determine those results. So and dice coefficient here is is a metric. Uh, so basically, so so and dice coefficient is uh, a similarity uh, matrix uh, where you pretty much have like say if you are comparing two set x and y, you you kind of it's a ratio of uh, intersection of those set over the union of the set pretty pretty much like uh, so you know how similar those sets are. So in this case. Uh, uh, this is used to um, uh, to check the accuracy, as as we discussed. You know how how important the accuracy is in in, in our previous answer. Um, uh, what is more important, in my view, is to have that ground truth um, with which you can compare the the predicted results from the model. Uh, so basically, the brain tumor segmentation model predicts the uh, the location uh, of the tumor. Uh, however, uh, in order to know how accurately the model is predicting, you may want to compare it with the ground truth data. And, and, and that is the time when Sorensen dice coefficient is calculated uh, to see how similar the prediction result is to the ground truth data. Now, having that ground truth data is, is, is the, uh, is, is, as I mentioned, is more important and it, it's a, it's a general AI, AI problem. The AI, is generally as good as the data uh, you have to begin with, right? All your model could be as good as the as 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 good or great as the data you have to 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 begin with, and to get this ground truth is is not an easy task. Um, uh, you need expert radiologist to sit down with these MRI images and and really uh, carve out you know uh, the the ground truth. Uh, uh, the ground truth data over there. So in that case, this case, uh, what is what is more important is the BRATS data set, 
which is part of the larger medical decathlon uh, exercise uh, that has happened in the past. And, and the BRATS data set stand for multimodal brain tumor segmentation um, uh, data set. And, and that, that comes with about 65 um, uh, uh, MRI Im images from four different institutions across the world. And it has been rated by up to like four radiologists, expert radiologists, and has gone through, uh, through multiple reviews. And this, and that gives us that ground truth data in order to calculate the Sorensen, uh, dice, uh, coefficient. In my view, that is an important aspect that we, we should know about presence of this data, as well as like, I would also say that presence of this BRATS data set in open source format that we can take and use for our experimentation is is uh, is probably one of the uh, one of the big advantage that we have yeah and in particular coming from the, the medical domain which um, i mean of course due to privacy of the data that you it's your medical data it's um, it's actually coming from a very difficult at the beginning to actually access uh, data in the beginning of deep learning was really difficult to even train model such a scarcity of uh, of data available and actually, uh, I think the medical uh, magic domain has really made a big effort in that uh, regard to really open source uh, a lot of data sets. For example, BRATS is one of those examples, but there's actually more like as part of medical decathlon, uh, like Abhishek is saying. Just, uh, good that uh, uh, like um, Severin Sever brought up the privacy aspect to it. Uh, uh, this particular data set that I'm talking to you about BRATS that we use as the base data set for, for this model creation and, and our experimentation, uh, in this regard, um, they they have worked some uh, worked on the data and they have stripped out the skull information from that data, and the the skull information is the uh, is the way to trace back the uh, the the those MRI images back to the patient, and they have already stripped it out and totally anonymized the data. So that way, um, as we are, we are using this data set for our experimentation, we know that. Uh, there are in privacy concern. It cannot be traced back to the patient. So we're talking about obviously great information here. And if there are people out there, which I'm sure there are quite a few that want to learn how to do this, and let's talk about the implementation here. So what process is needed for companies to put some of these new technologies in place? And then what does that look like? So I really do really create your own AI model because then, yeah, this is what is about to create your own AI model for medical imaging. I mean, now we already touched about the two topics. I think the most completed part actually like having the data. So having the data on your particular uh, the example you or the application you want to you want to work, and um, of course for medical that you can want to diagnose very particular disease. You need to get uh, enough uh, patient data for that uh, particular disease. So that of course is the is I think like the biggest uh, challenge is really how to get your data. After there's like a multiple uh, way to do it. Uh, first challenge is how to get your data. So once you have your data, I think you already have done most of <laughs> the most important step. And then uh, as we already talked, like uh, for, for example, doing a segmentation, there is now some like standard models like we already discussed, like the unit. Uh, I think it's uh, already a good uh, it can be a good starting point uh, to uh, create your uh, segmentation uh, model on the different organs, for example. And then I think what is uh, 
still like a, a really big challenge is uh, how to actually deploy that because uh, most of uh, the work you will find for medical imaging research, it's actually focused on research. We will get uh, like a, pro- a, 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 a trend to actually go to, go to bigger and bigger, bigger models, which might not necessarily actually fit on, for example, like uh, uh, embedded devices. So how do you actually bring um, a good accuracy model to be used in um, uh, handhold ultrasound. For, uh, there's a lot of how do you bring that to uh, to really be used in production and to be used in real time in a, an environment that is maybe not high computing. <laughs> so uh, I think this is really uh, the two challenges for, for the people, but there's, there's a tool. So of course, uh, uh, how to get to your data, how to annotate your data. There's a lot of tools for doing that and also for for, uh, for deployment, as we already uh, we mentioned, there's, for example, OpenVINO that helps you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I would uh, I would add to what Severin is saying here. Like, um, if you look at the whole cycle, uh, as Severin mentioned, you know, data, data prep, data labeling, um, cleaning, uh, like the whole data part is is probably one of the most time consuming aspect. And um, yeah. and then obviously you have to train your model, and then there are different ways of training your model. You know, uh, there are these kind of open source data set, but you can bring your own data set to it. Um, there are uh, ways to train from scratch, train using transfer learning, federal learning. We may talk about that also a little bit later. Once you have a trained model, then this whole area of inferencing is it itself could be a challenge because generally there are very unique inferencing needs. Like there's not one size fit all. Uh, uh, the inferencing uh, is is dependent on like what kind of integration you want with the other systems uh, around it. You know what what is the like kind of budget right what what uh, what what uh, what kind of environment where you're going to implement implement or deploy your model you know how much uh, can there are a consideration around noise around heat you know uh, depending on how close to the patient you know that that model would be deployed or not right or whether you want to do it on the edge or on the cloud so there is like there is a, so many aspects around inferencing that that one has to be aware of on top of that, like uh, uh, there is a particular level of uh, performance that you would require, right? I mean, you don't want um, you want the results to come out in in a, in a, in a particular time frame, and and that's where uh, 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 that's where like you talked about OpenVINO, like OpenVINO help uh, help optimize the model, as I said, compile time, runtime, get the best uh, performance. But not only that, it also makes the model um uh, uh kind of in, in 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 a particular format that it can be deployed to uh, to 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 different intel architectures without writing uh, you know extra code and and uh, and this interoperability that brings another set of challenge interoperability this interoperability means that you can run your models on all these different uh, um different uh, silicon skews or different options that you have but just 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 think about it. A customer or or or, or a hospital out there or, or a lab, they will not have a, a large lab with all of these different silicon skews with them to to try out which one works best for them. So having an infrastructure, a digital infrastructure where they can test this out, know exactly the best silicon that works for them is also important. And that's is also something that at Intel we have provided something called Dev Cloud. Which, uh, which is a cluster of all of different Intel processes. Within that process is all the different SKUs 
where um, uh, where uh, and it's free of cost service where 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 people can uh, developer can run, run their model uh, and see what silicon works best for them and accordingly accordingly choose that so we're talking about a lot of changes because technology is ever changing and that's the good part because every day there's new technology to talk about so what about the future what can we expect or what do you think uh, we can be looking at in this space in the years to come i think the the future will be more and more ai there is this uh, in my mind there is no doubt about that ai will be everywhere and um, and and i think the future would be um would be a, a situation where uh, where you have to deal with not just one model but multiple model at the same time and that is that is also to 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 some extent the current reality as well but i think the magnitude of it will keep increasing in future um you would have like uh, uh, even like like the whole decision logic uh, there could be model to 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 make a decision on which direction uh, uh you need to go in your business logic and then there will be other models to uh, uh to 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 help you uh, you know implement that business logic in in, in a particular uh, particular direction so so overall uh, the situation is that you will be dealing with like few dozen dozen models right those all of has to be uploaded and and used at the same time even the payload that the model is going to analyze and predict on that will become multimodal um it will not just be imaging but imaging plus maybe maybe some uh, voice data plus uh, some other acoustic or emr data so it uh, so, so so we are looking at a uh, at a situation where multiple model would be analyzing payload which is also a combination of multi multiple different modalities uh, so that is one one uh, one aspect the other aspect is that um uh, in future uh, Uh, the organizations are seeing the value of collaboration in order to get to the best model everybody understand there's a lot of data there's a data explosion around us but sometimes it becomes a situation of water water everywhere not a no maybe much less to drink or something like that because there is a lot of uh, data but to have the right data in order that can help you get to the best model is still very difficult it's still very costly to 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 get those experts to annotate uh, to label your data annotate your data in order for to make it that uh, uh, that fuel for your ai uh, model and 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 because of that we will see uh, organizations collaborating everybody bringing their own data and they are building this model together uh, there is another advantage to that is a, a, a good model is the one that is representative of um, of of all aspect all segments of the society and generally with 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 one organization data there could be a little bit more bias towards a particular uh, you know segment of the society so when different organizations across the world come together and they build the model together it it is more representative of the general population and that's where the the whole idea of federated learning uh, comes into play because pe- people want to collaborate they want to build a model using uh, the 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 combined force of their data bringing all the synergies in but they don't but they are very careful about the privacy concern or or data um, related issues like data uh, being you know compromised and things like that so the whole federated learning has to be done in a very secure environment at the same time 
there are new technologies in which you don't have to share data. You just share the weights of the model. The, the way the, the, the training happens is, is, is the weights on the models adjusted. And, you, and, and all organizations just share that weights. And, and then there are uh, ways to bring all of that thing together and generalize it in a manner that the ultimate model that is generated out of it is, 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 the, is the best of, uh, like is, is the best representation of everybody's contribution. So I see those two vectors as, as a very important direction in the future. So for me, uh, what I see for the future is um, typically what we see currently for, for a lot of AI is a lot, so it's used a lot for, for diagnosis. So really what is um, what you can get from um, medical imaging based on the patient, like before surgery or before um, or when they start to be sick to get do some um uh, get some get some check and then you do some scan and then you would see how you have a cancer or not. But challenges we already discussed that how to actually bring AI to be used in real time in a challenging environment that is not doesn't have the possibility to maybe be high computing and have a, a very fancy GPU for example. And, um, and this is really what I I think uh, that would get more and more interesting to really see uh, AI being used really during surgery. And um, so I see that as a trend. Uh, I, I guess we have now the tools to, uh, and, uh, and the tools in the hardware to basically do more AI in real time uh, on more like, embedded type of devices. Actually, what Severin is saying is, um, is resonating with me so much. I think what, if I can add to that, uh, it's also about integration, right? Like, like AI being integrated with the other devices across the patient bedside, you know, with the EMR and and it providing more real-time feedback, um, uh, taking real-time data from that and providing real-time feedback back into that whole uh, operations in a, in a hospital or other, other clinical care uh, setting. Um, so I think, I think that makes sense. I would also add um, uh, one more thing is like right now, I believe that, that AI seems a little disjointed, you know, that you go through the process in a very disjointed manner. You do all this data prep, then you have this model, then you... Uh, kind of deploy it and uh, and then there is, then you go through the whole process again which is time consuming to 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 upgrade the model i think in future it will be more continuous learning as as uh, a prediction is made and as experts are looking at it they should be able to put some inputs back uh, feedback back into the into into the system that upgrades the model um uh, in in a, in a more continuous basis uh, and also that can apply to the data, uh, like annotated data being generated and adding to the data, the data pool. So I think the, the, the whole process, which is much more disjointed right now, in future could become much more streamlined and, and continuous. Any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here? Uh, yeah, we have showcased like really uh, like an example with the brain tumor segmentation on really how... how it actually is a good use cases uh, to showcase uh, medical imaging and in particular with uh, the intellect technology that we have showcased uh, talking about OpenVINO. What, really, what are the challenges such as uh, how to get basically the data uh, that's good now in medical imaging domain. There is uh, open source, a lot of open source data that you can start with. And also the second challenges, which is uh, how to do uh, deployment and how basically uh, the deploy deployment challenge is still what I think still Still, it still needs this to be solved for being used in, in surgery, and uh, for example. I would say that 
uh, like brain tumor segmentation is is just one example of uh, of how medical imaging is um, uh, we can we can apply ai to medical imaging deploy it at scale and and bring real patient uh, value however uh, the entire area of medical imaging is is ripe for a lot of um, uh, yeah like uh, ai based uh, analysis um in general uh, the way deep learning uh, has uh, evolved in the last um, i would say 7 8 years um, uh, and all the different uh, networks that are available around deep uh, with with deep learning a big big implementation uh, area for deep learning is obviously computer vision and and how an image analysis and the the image uh, images that are um, ultimately the x-ray ct mri that results in 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 uh, in, in an image the output of that is an image that there, there, there is uh, there could be different other areas where ai could be applied even in the reconstruction process on how these images are being built um uh, however ultimately uh, image is an output and that image uh, we can apply all the different computer vision tactics the different uh, image processing uh, you know aspect to it and and really make it easier uh, for uh, for for uh, for for this whole for make it easy for and and assist the workforce that is using it for patient care and here i also want to highlight that the workforce that is that is assisting with patient care is uh, is a is a very highly burdened and uh, and and there's a huge shortage of this workforce across the world um and there are also underserved areas there are uh, remote areas like like where where people are working in mines and things like that they don't have access to radiologist or to other clinical expert that readily that is another area where medical imaging and ai in medical imaging could be so useful uh, they can at least um, at, as the first part highlight uh, within a large set of population uh, what need immediate attention uh, everywhere there is a lack of uh, radiologists like in, in in larger population uh, countries like um, china or india there is even more difficult to get their time uh, to do an analysis so this ai could be so handy in analyzing it and flagging it uh for for an expert to look at and take corrective action sometimes this 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 uh um time um delay or lack of it could be the difference between life and death for many 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 patients uh so 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 there is such a huge potential for ai in medical imaging abhishek as you said it, it could be the difference between life and death we we hope and pray that nobody has to go through a, a diagnosis here but what we're talking about here is uh, potentially life saving if we can diagnose that early and the treatment uh, is there earlier so wonderful information abhishek kawala principal health ai engineer severin haber ai engineering manager thank you so much for your input both of you uh with this this topic once again that we wish we didn't have to talk about but thankfully the amazing technology that we have the future that you both attested to with where things can go from here of just how much more helpful ai can be with not only diagnosing brain tumors but a whole wealth of of health issues in parts of the world around the world that 
may be better served or can be better served through this. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we take a look at modern challenges and future solutions brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. To hear the latest thought leadership from Intel, be sure to subscribe to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge to stay up to date with every episode. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and we'll see you soon.